Good morning. I went online and did a search. My search was, tell me how does having a liberal mind lead to creativity and discovery? It resulted in a document titled, Liberal Mind Fosters Creativity. It reads, having a liberal mind often leads to creativity and discovery because it encourages open-mindedness, acceptance, and new ideas and a willingness to challenge existing norms. This mindset allows individuals to explore unconventional approaches, think outside the box, and consider diverse perspectives, all of which can foster innovative thinking and breakthroughs. Additionally, a liberal mindset tends to promote curiosity and a hunger for learning, which are essentials for pushing the boundaries of knowledge and making new discoveries, end quote. Scientific research has provided evidence that incorporation of culture when treating Native Americans for addiction is beneficial in numerous ways. There are obvious ways to incorporate culture into treatment. At the same time, it leaves the door open on how to incorporate certain aspects of culture into treatment. So what I have here is a balance between a liberal-minded approach and adhering to evidence-based practice. And it turns out this is not really all that difficult. There are various therapeutic approaches to help do this. One of the more helpful is concepts found in Carl Jung's work. My name is Roland Martin. I am a drug and alcohol counselor with Empete Luto OTP. Later on in this broadcast, I'll provide more information about the services provided by Empetit Luto OTP. Scientific research provides evidence that the addiction to alcohol and drugs and addiction behaviors is very often a trauma response. This response is about trying to make things better, trying to feel better through the use of alcohol and drugs. The World Health Organization in their literature states that the methamphetamine problem is a trauma problem. A good source to understand this, it's very accessible, is if you go onto YouTube and search Dr. Gabar Mate. Type in his name and just put in addiction and trauma. And you're going to have plenty of YouTube clips to make this connection. Dr. Gabar Mate is a very good resource for education and uh, understanding of addiction and trauma. I think it's important for us to understand this connection because if we get this connection, we're better off understanding how to approach the addiction problem. I often say, we don't have an alcohol problem. We don't have a methamphetamine problem or a drug problem. We have a trauma problem resulting in an addiction problem to methamphetamines and addiction problem to alcohol and opioids. If we only treat the addiction, we're dealing with an effect. I believe we should also treat the root causes of addiction which is typically trauma. Traumatic experiences lives within each one of us, and it typically remains there throughout our lifetime. Throughout the world, people who have a oppressive history typically, in current times, experience intergenerational trauma. Typically, this trauma begins while the baby is still being carried by the mother. What the mother experiences, which is a psychological and emotional stress, is absorbed and carried by the baby. This affects 
epigenetics and brain development. It predisposes the baby to an overreaction to traumatic events later in life. As the epigenetics, brain development, and central nervous system are preset to have an overreaction to life stressors. Once the infant is born, the uh, intergenerational trauma is typically an environment where this newborn will continue to experience traumatic life events. There is also clear evidence for uh, a study called ACEs. This is an acronym for Adverse Childhood Experiences which refer to stressors or traumatic events that children may experience during their upbringing. The research is very clear. Adverse childhood experiences have a negative, significant impact on various areas of a person's life. The areas researched and considered are mental health, physical health, behavioral issues, educational outcomes, social relationships, emotional regulation, coping mechanisms, self-esteem and self-image, future risk behaviors, and parenting and family dynamics. For more information on this, you can Google Adverse Childhood Experiences. These traumatic events typically continue through childhood, adolescence, and into adulthood. These traumatic life events typically leave people with a sense of guilt and shame. These are very, very powerful emotions that drive most of our behaviors. These early life traumatic events often leave people with a core belief system, a sense that I am not enough, not loved, not important, and I don't count. Core beliefs are typically unconscious beliefs, which leaves people to continually re-experience abandonment, grief, depression, and anxiety, along with other mental health issues. Notice I did not say disorders as it's becoming more and more clear that a lot of these responses are natural responses to traumatic events. Either way, everything I mentioned here often results in a lot of pain, which results in behaviors we see in ourselves, our families, and communities. Behaviors I don't have to go through, we know what they are. Basically, hurt people hurt people. Wounded seeks to wound. Eduardo Duran referred to this as a soul wound. It's recognized as horizontal violence. In other words, people hurt the ones next to them. It's also well understood to be generational, which is vertical. It's passed from one generation down to the next. We can think of it as a hot potato. It burns your hands. You throw it in the air. Somebody else catches it. Their hands get burnt. They throw it in the air. Somebody else catches it. Their hands get burnt. And it spreads. A very basic and simplified example of this is when an individual senses within themselves a sense of weakness, helplessness, victimization, inadequacy, unimportance. This aspect of themselves is not liked. They don't like this perceived part of themselves. When they see this in somebody else, which is going to happen, because basically the world is a mirror. People reflect back to us aspects of ourselves. So, if we don't like this unconscious sense of self, now we don't like the other, as we now see it in them, which leads to bullying or attack of some form. This is the same dynamic of guilt. Nobody likes to feel a sense of guilt. How do we get rid of it? Very simple. We simply project it onto others. We see it in others. Now we can point a finger and talk about them, blame them, find fault in them, argue with them, 
which often leads to some type of attack. These are the unwanted behaviors within ourselves, families, friends, and community, resulting from traumatic life experiences. For many people, these experiences become numb. They become normal and expected. From early life, which I will identify as inner utero, which is pre-birth, conditioned unconscious mindset. It's a felt sense that develops and allows for people to see the world and themselves in a painful, hurtful way, which is for the most part unconscious. This mindset results in unwanted behaviors and attempts to make things better through the use of alcohol and drugs. After talking here for about eight and a half minutes, I gave a very basic and brief setup for what I want to talk about next, and it's the illusionary aspects of perception. I see this as very important because I come to understand healing as undoing. Healing is unlearning what was learned or acquired earlier in life. It is releasing an unhelpful mindset that carries guilt, shame, victimization, and pain. We grow, heal, and change through seeing things different. The past is there. The facts don't change. Police reports are written. Historical accounts of a people is narrated. It's written down and well documented as a historical account. Obviously, we're not trying to change the past. We're not trying to change what happened to us personally or as a people. Nor are we trying to change things that are happening in current time. We are never upset about facts. We are upset over our interpretation of a fact. This interpretation of a fact exists only within our mind. This interpretation of a fact may be shared by others, but ultimately, this interpretation only exists within the mind, which is how we see it, how we look at it, how we perceive it. Facts don't change, but what does change and are different are how people look at stuff, how they believe about it. For the most part, I'm talking about the unconscious core beliefs about ourselves as it relates to addiction behaviors. These core beliefs are typically, I don't count, I'm not enough, I'm guilty, shameful, victimized, abandoned, unwanted, and other such emotions that are pretty much, we're not aware of them, they're unconscious, they're buried, they're repressed, but these are very powerful emotions that drive behaviors. They affect our current thinking, our current uh, conscious belief system, they affect how we feel, our emotions, and they drive our behaviors. Behind every emotion we ever had, there is a belief behind it that would create this emotion. Based on these emotions, we'll have behaviors we don't want, which includes addiction behaviors. With this setup, we can begin to understand that the issues we're dealing with are all internal. The unhealthy belief system we acquired is a conditioning of the mind as a result in the environment we're in. Think of your own recent emotional state that was uncomfortable. Maybe it was very painful. Whatever it is you felt is likely a pattern that repeats itself throughout time, which then creates the behaviors that also repeat themselves, resulting in life circumstances you'd rather not have. And then we often find ourselves blaming society, family, friends, relatives, or some governmental agency. We're very good at finding a source for our anxiety, anger, frustration, or whatever it is that might be bothering us. How we consciously or unconsciously choose to look at a situation will determine how we feel. And how we interpret anything is based upon what's inside of us, our subconscious mind. 
What do we carry in there? What's our core beliefs about ourselves and the world? So whatever it is we see in our environment, home life, society, is a very strong indicator of what we're carrying within. It's helpful just to step back and look at our thoughts, look at our behaviors, and look at our emotions. When we look at these things, we don't do it with a thinking mind. We don't do it with a judgmental mind. We do it with just complete awareness, nothing else. We just are aware, we watch, we look at it. No judgment whatsoever. We never do this alone, never. We do it with the higher power next to us. As we look at these thoughts, beliefs, emotions, behaviors, we begin to realize how fragile they are, how unfounded they are. They have no basis. They just kind of arise. And then we may look at our random thoughts, how they just pop into our mind out of nowhere, continuously, all day. If we do this enough, we become aware that we are not the one who has these random thoughts that come in. Because if we're watching them just pop in, where they come from? Who did that? In real time, we can be aware of a thought that just comes into our mind. So we become the observer, the, the awareness of these random thoughts that just keep coming into our mind. We can also do this with emotions. We, be, we then become aware we are not the emotion. The emotion will come and it will go. We may still feel the emotion. We may experience the emotion. But we become more aware that we are not the emotion. We are not the thought that brought about the emotion. We are observing this. Before this awareness, we thought we were the emotion. We thought we were the thoughts that just come into our head. And over time of doing this with, with a consistent practice, we become aware that we are the awareness. Not the one doing thinking, but the awareness, the observer. In the uh, awareness, there is silence, there is stillness that is constant, real, until it is interrupted again by that never-ending chatter, that continual thought process that just randomly comes into our mind. When we begin to observe that random thought process, that continual chatter that, that, that never seems to never stop, when we observe it, we begin to realize there's a lot of negativity in it, a lot of blame, a lot of judgment, a lot of things that, that bring us discomfort, emotional pain. Through a continual practice with a higher power next to us, we begin to look at this uh, non-stop chatter, this voice in our head, and we begin to disassociate from it. We begin to realize it is not us. It's like a conditioned program that just keeps running, that likes to find fault, blame, judgment in others, in the circumstances, that tells us we are abused, neglected, abandoned, rejected, or attacked, done wrong, victimized. For most of our life, we let that voice run free. We let it do its thing, resulting in hurt emotions that lead to anger and arguments, drama, fights, whatever. When we decide we had enough of this drama, this uh, repeating patterns in our lives, we make a change. And we are ready to do whatever it takes to change these behaviors, which typically involve addiction behaviors. And one of the most powerful ways to bring about this change, uh, this movement towards peace, is the practice of looking at our thoughts, of being still and just observing what's going through our mind. Again, we do this with the higher power next to us, always. It's the practice of being in the present moment, always in the present moment. And in the present moment, 
we become more skilled at observing the thoughts, the random thoughts that just kept coming through our mind. Over time, like I said, we become aware that we are not them thoughts. We are not the emotions. We are we are that quiet observer within the stillness. For just about all of us, this would be something completely new. Too much of this world, it's not new whatsoever. It's a practice that goes back from the time when humans first started to make records. It is understood as a practice to bring awareness, enlightenment, understanding, wisdom, and most of all, a strong sense of peace that is constant. Before the boarding school experience, or the attempts of assimilation, and the attempts of suppressing native culture, practice, norms, spirituality, we had a more natural world experience, where we did spend more time in nature alone. We were more grounded in nature, which supported the awareness, the experience of stillness, access to what is true within. This is not a cognitive experience. It is not a thinking experience. It is an experiential experience that we feel within. It is a sense of knowing and the presence of peace. The sense of knowing is, is knowing I'm okay. I'm fine. Everything's all right. I've always been okay. I've always been fine. Things will always be okay because it's grounded in a solid sense of peace. It's a sense of calm and peace that nothing in the outside world can touch. When I say outside world, I'm talking about anything on the outside of the mind. The physical world of bodies will continue to do what it's going to do. There's going to be attack. There's going to be violence. Others trying to impose their will over other people. Unjust, unfair behaviors by different people or groups. But none of this comes remotely close to taking away the peace within, the calm. Because the source of the calm and peace and happiness is within the mind. It's not on the outside world. Vice versa. The source of agony, drama, anxiety, victimization, tragedy, all of it. The source of that is from within the mind only. This is the realization expressed in the words of the book Black Elk Speaks. Open quote. The first piece, which is the most important, is that which comes within the souls of people when they realize their relationship, their oneness with the universe and all its powers. And when they realize at the center of the universe dwells the great spirit and that its center is really everywhere. It is within each. End quote. Through this practice of stillness, the greatest healing occurs. The healing is undoing this conditioned mindset that we've acquired at an early age. When we are young, we don't know any better. We have this internal message that says you don't count, you're not enough, you're not important, you're guilty, you're shameful. And until we wake up and start to understand the power of the mind, these hurtful emotions and life experiences will continue. It's a pattern that just keeps going. The change or shift is within the mind. The outside world will still be the same. It doesn't change out there. Things will happen. People do what they do. What changes is our perspective, how we look at stuff, how we interpret the world around us. Through practice, over time, we learn how to sustain, how to hold that peace, that presence within us that nobody can take away. As Black Elk expresses, it's the realization of oneness. Oneness has only all-encompassing love. 
the realization is to is not about becoming it's not about achieving it's about realizing what always has been without the stillness we're continually subject to that non-stop chatter that voice in the head that just keeps running that voice in the head that continually tells us we're victimized, we're attacked, we're abused, neglected, in judgment, judgment of self, judgment of others, it just keeps going. With that, our perception of the world around us, when things happen with people, places, events, we're going to see tragedy, we're going to see attack, we're going to see victimizers, we're going to see enemies, we're going to see genocide, we're going to see cultural genocide, we're going to see victimization of a people, we're going to see victimization of individuals. Because that non-stop chatter in our mind, that voice that doesn't shut up, it just keeps going, it's the same voice other people have in their head too, telling them the same thing. And when it tells them something tragic has happened, some, some attack has occurred, it's going to have logic. It's going to have facts. It's going to be able to point out exactly what happened. And everybody's going to agree creating a group think, group feel, group tragedy, and or individual tragedy, individual victimization. Until the stillness of the mind is realized, until it's honored, until it's practiced, it's really a return to our cultural past. Until this happens, we're going to continue to interpret the world in a very painful way. It's going to be a misinterpretation of what's real. It's going to be a wrong perception of reality. What is perceived wrong is a state of illusion. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary definition of illusion is perception of something objectively existing in such a way as to cause misinterpretation of its actual nature, period. Without honoring the stillness of the mind and practicing it, we deny ourselves what is true, and we unconsciously choose to keep the illusionary state of pain abuse, neglect, guilt, shame, abandonment, victimization. We allow that to keep running. And it's very painful. By denying ourselves the peace, the calm, the truth within, found within the stillness of the mind, we will continue to allow our individualistic mind, the self, the I, the ego, to run the show. And it will have very good justification for why we should be upset, for why we should be angry, for why we should have revenge, or for why we should see ourselves as victimized. And remember, for the most part, society is going to cling to that. Society will just about always find guilt somewhere. A very good analogy of this is called the allegory of the cave. Look it up. Go on to YouTube and YouTube is pretty good. Maybe next uh, broadcast I will read the allegory of the cave and do some talking about that. And what I'm talking about here is nothing new. Everything I'm saying here has already been said. It's been said throughout history in different parts of the world. For us as Ogallalas, we have Black Elk. He talks about the realization of oneness and the peace that is within. So, in this broadcast, I really wanted to bring home the um, the understanding of uh, the illusionary state that we have. In light of what Black Elk speaks of, we have the illusionary state of duality, of individualism, the misperception, the wrong interpretation. The illusion of all the things that bring us hurt and pain. We should understand we have a very strong draw, a pull, a desire to keep this wrong interpretation going. If you would like to hear this episode again, you can find it on Spotify. Go on to Spotify, look under Native Addiction Healing, and this episode will be called 
Illusions versus Peace. My name is Roland Martin. I am a drug and alcohol counselor with Epete Luto Tipi. The services provided by Epete Luto Tipi are alcohol and drug assessments, DUI, DWI education classes, outpatient groups, aftercare, recovery support groups, medication assisted treatment, and parenting classes. For more information on these services, you can call an office closest to you. We have offices in Martin, phone number 605-685-6400, Pine Ridge, 605-867-5595, Kyle, 605-455-2331, Wombly, 605-462-6480, and my location, Sweat, 605-685-1582. That's all I have for today. Thanks for listening.